here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Wrestling Podcasting Network, which will be covering the UK wrestling indie scene. I'm your host, Rob Breed, and I cover the Revolution Pro Wrestling promotion over on voiceofwrestling.com. And later on, I will be joined by former Romania's Arnold Furious, who's also the writer of the History of Wrestling series of books, and also my fellow Voice of Wrestling writer, Ollie Court, author of the House of Cards series of articles as well as our resident progress reviewer. But for now, you will start with just me. Due to this being the first episode of this particular podcast, I thought I'd just take a bit of time to introduce exactly what this podcast will be going forward. And as that was going to be somewhat of a monologue anyway, I didn't feel it necessary for them to have to stick around and listen to my voice. That pleasure is reserved just for you. But have no fear, they'll be joining us later on in the recording for the roundtable portion. So, uh, let's get to it. The reason for this podcast, Brick Press Roundtable, coming into being is that, well, for two reasons mainly. Firstly, the coverage for the UK indie wrestling scene, both through podcasts or just in general, yeah, is pretty sparse really. Especially when you compare it to the coverage you see for the US and Canada, or even Japan these days, seems there are thousands of podcasts out there covering those two areas, and while that's great, you look at the British indie wrestling scene, and the coverage is rather barren, really. Off the top of my head, I can only really think of uh, two podcasts covering the British wrestling scene, those being the Indie Wrestling Podcast and PWN Radio's Catchcast, and while those two podcasts do a tremendous job. I at least get the feeling that they're targeted to an audience already familiar with the British wrestling scene. The indie wrestling podcast more so than Catchcast. Catchcast is it, it is accessible to those not so familiar without so much knowledge of the British wrestling scene. But at the same time I can see how it could be intimidating or confusing from the point of view of someone without a lot of knowledge in that area. 
that's really the area we that we want the uh, brick press round table to fill. We want it to be a show accessible to people without knowledge of the European or British wrestling scene, be that an American, a Canadian, a Mexican, even someone from Japan, wherever. And hopefully we'd like to see a few of you get into British or European wrestling. Which somewhat leads me into the second reason for the existence of this podcast, being that the UK indie scene is both hotter and more accessible, both domestically and internationally, perhaps than it ever has been. Uh, you've got places like Progress, Revolution Pro Wrestling, and Insane Championship Wrestling. They're all putting out really good products that are accessible worldwide through services like Revolution Pro On Demand, which utilises the Vimeo On Demand, where you can buy shows online and download them or stream them uh, at your leisure. Or Progress On Demand, which works like somewhat like the WWE Network, without the live specials obviously, but uh, you get the entire archive of their footage, as well as all the new shows as soon as they're uploaded. ICW also has a similar service with ICW On Demand. Uh, so really, as an American, apart from going to these shows live, it's just as easy to watch an RPW show or a, a progress show as it is for a Brit. And you really should be taking advantage of that. That's, that's kind of a message, this podcast. There's, there's a lot of great wrestling happening that doesn't have enough eyes on it. So if we can make even the smallest difference and get a few more eyes on it, that'd be great. Now, for the longest time, the uh, the UK didn't have an indie scene really worth talking about at all. Most of you will uh, know, uh, maybe not all of you, but most will know, that we used to have a huge British scene uh, a long time ago. R-O-W-W-E, R-O-W-C-W-E, R-O-N-W-A, whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, with the, uh, you know, famous for the world of sports style. But for whatever reason, that eventually came off TV. I won't go into why, that's a whole other podcast. And, but, you know, that, that fell. And without that big company at the top, there wasn't really the, the wrestling foundations anymore for a, uh, a modern indie scene, the likes of which uh, the, the US has had since roughly the 2000s. The, the beginning of the 2000s uh, with the Kid of Indies tournament, I marred at the beginning of the modern indie scene for the uh, the US. We we didn't have that for a lot, the longest time. If you look at the people who've gone across to to the US um, from England after you know William Regal, Stephen Regal, there wasn't really anyone for a long time. And that's because we lost our uh, our wrestling infrastructure. There was still wrestling going on, but it, it it wasn't really it wasn't really anything major. And after Stephen Regal, the next Brit to really you know who's trained over the UK and made it over to America was oh, I don't know is it is it is it Nigel McGuinness? Well, he he wasn't even trained in. The UK, he was trained over in HWA in America, so oof. maybe maybe Paul, Paul Burchill, maybe. 
you know, that's a, that's a big gap. And that's because we didn't really have an interesting infrastructure. While you were having a thriving indie scene, at least talent-wise, in the early 2000s, or the, the, the beginning of Ring of Honor, we didn't really have anything. In, in the mid-2000s, we had a bit of a, you know, we, we had quite a nice, nice indie scene. Uh, we had we had three big pro fairly big promotions um, putting on quality shows uh, in One uh, PW, uh, FWA, and IPW UK. But it wasn't long before One PW and FWA folded. So we're left with just IPW UK, and then from the the, the late mid to uh, late mid two thousands onwards until. Maybe 2011, 2010, we went through another really dark period of indie wrestling in the UK. Since then, we've had somewhat of a resurgence. Uh, ICW up in Scotland has rose to prominence. Um, they're even getting on national TV now, on BBC Three, which isn't a major channel, but it, you know, it, it's I don't know, it's a, I guess it's in here in the UK, it's a destination America equivalent. Uh, we've got Progress down in uh, London, holding shows that are getting international buzz, just mainly for the atmosphere, because it, they're, they're really putting on special shows. And also RPW, uh, Revolution Pro Wrestling, sometimes referred to as Rev Pro, they're, um, they're definitely producing some buzz with their York Hall shows, maybe mainly for their, their the, the people they're bringing in from abroad, um, lots of New Japan talent, uh, acting as the uh, British partner to New Japan, but 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 also um, they're bringing through you know, people like Will Ospreay, Marty Scar. Um, they they help bring through Zack Sabre Jr. Not only those those three big big promotions, but all across the country now, and their smaller promotions are, are popping up, places like uh, SWE or uh, NGW or Fight Nation or PCW. They're all popping up and they're all producing quality wrestling. The UK wrestling indie scene hasn't been this good, I'd say ever, to my knowledge anyway. So that's that, that's why we've chosen this time to uh, start this podcast. For the first time in a long time, the UK wrestling scene has got the quality that it deserves, isn't it? And its biggest problem is awareness. Now. Now, the, the way things work, I found, is when you're getting into wrestling, you, 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 everyone starts with WWE. I, I don't know anyone who, who started getting into wrestling and didn't start with WWE. There probably are people, but for me, that's the way most people get into wrestling. Then, you might get a bit disenfranchised with WWE. You, you might just be looking for more wrestling. And then you, well, I found TNA, maybe at this point with TNA on such a, a downslide, um, you'd find Ring of Honor first. But I found TNA, and then I found Ring of Honor, and from there, I found the Indies. But I found the US Indies, and I'm a Brit. But I, I knew about AIW, AAW, In, Inspire, um, Beyond, way before I knew about the... The indie wrestling promotions right on my front doorstep, and I know that's that's something that a lot of UK fans of wrestling that they're, they're more likely to know about a place like AIW 
than they are to know about SWE. Despite SWE, you know, which shows across the Midlands and the UK, putting on shows that are know, just as good, if not maybe better, than AIW, they just don't have the same awareness. Now, this might be a thing that's got to come with time, but to support that, it's got to have coverage. And that's partly what this is. Now, the biggest two promotions, well, let's say biggest three in the UK, are Progress Wrestling, uh, which runs shows almost exclusively down in London, although it's recently announced it's now going up to Manchester for some shows in the coming year. Um, which is up north, for people not familiar with the UK geography. And also RPW, uh, Red Pro, uh, Revolution Pro Wrestling, whatever you want to call it, um, which runs shows across the south, um, but also three times a year holds a super show uh, in London um, at York Hall, which draws, you know, it's drawing regularly 1,200 people three times a year now. Which, you know, without any TV, that's, that's quite impressive, really, especially in the UK. And then there's ICW up in Scotland, although they have since begun touring around into England maybe once a year, maybe twice a year now, but mainly based up in Scotland. Uh, this podcast is going to be following closely Progress and RPW, mostly because they're probably the two promotions that internationally will have the most interest, but also because as someone who lives in the south of England and, you know, I may be moving up to the, the Midlands soon, but, you know, I've, I've never lived in Scotland, I'm far more familiar with Progress and RPW as, as are Ollie and Arnold. So they're the two promotions that we're going to be covering on this podcast. Uh, we'll be previewing their, their bigger shows and reviewing them. Um, we'll also be covering any news that, that, that comes up. I think that's about it. Uh, so I'll just stop talking now. You're probably sick of my voice by now. I've been talking for over 10 minutes now. Uh, just me. Hopefully I haven't been too boring. But on the inside of this stair uh, will be the start of the roundtable segment. Uh, thanks for listening so far and see you in a few seconds. Hello everybody and welcome back to the roundtable portion of the BritRest Roundtable. I'm now joined by my two co-hosts and I'll let them introduce themselves and get their plugs in. Uh, hello, I'm uh, Arnold Furious. Uh, I'm the oldest of the uh, three gentlemen on this uh, podcast. Uh, I started watching wrestling in the early 80s with my grandmother, watching World of Sport on ITV. Lots of uh, Big Daddy and Les Kellett and Pat Roach and so on and so forth. Uh, I then moved on to watching uh, WCW when I was a bit older, and I've been watching the WWE since 1992. Uh, I started writing about wrestling in 1998 during Attitude, and I've been writing for 411 since 2003. Uh, I've been in sort of attending uh, UK indie shows since uh, I think 2004. The first one I went to was a 3CW show in Middlesbrough. Um, I'm writing uh, history of wrestling books um with the guys on that team we've been doing that for about three years we've got loads of them out 
Cool, yeah. Okay, I'm Ollie Court, and I write for Voices of Wrestling, doing the House of Cards column about every month for every major New Japan show. I've also written reviews for progress shows, and will continue to do so in the future. I haven't really been watching either British uh, indie wrestling for as long as Arnold, uh, maybe only getting into it like in 2012, 2013, but I've really immersed myself in it since then. It's really a scene that's growing and growing, and it's really coming to like a crescendo right now, so it's a perfect time to start a podcast on it, I'm very excited to be doing so. Great, so uh, I'm going to start by giving you a brief overview on the two promotions we're going to be covering closely on this podcast. Uh, we, we may dip in and out of some of the other promotions around the UK, but the two main ones we're going to be covering are Progress Wrestling and uh, RPW, uh, Revolution Pro Wrestling, or sometimes called RevPro, goes under many names. So to give you a brief overview, um, Progress is the more storyline-based of the two. Uh, it runs shows roughly every six weeks, maybe once every two months-ish, uh, down in London, um, and there's very, uh, very much a cult kind of atmosphere. Small venues, loud crowds. And uh, for a comparison for the people uh, who are more familiar with the, the US indie scene, I'd kind of compare it in feel to uh, around mid-2000s Ring of Honor. Um, it, it's it's definitely got a very cool vibe, yeah, the way the a lot of wrestling doesn't have at the moment. Punk rock kind of uh, t-shirt designs, lots of swearing, <laughs> if you're into that sort of thing. Sorry, ad- it's adult based. Like they only, they only allow like fourteen pe- fourteen year olds and over in there, so it's not like family it's not exclusive. It's not family friendly. <laughs> let's put it that way. And it's really hard to get tickets as well, isn't it? The, they sell out in what's it twenty yeah. minutes? It's like PWG, like it sells out in the first half an hour, so you need to be very very quick. Uh, they're one of the more storyline heavy promotions in the UK. Uh, every single one of their pr- their shows. Um, it matters um, in a way that a lot of a lot of companies, not every one of their shows matters, storyline-wise. There's good points and bad points to that. Like, you got the Jimmy Havoc storyline, which has pretty much gone through every single show they've done at this point, uh, which is like really anchored their shows and really made it something very interesting every time. But it also means you get matches where they do screw finishes, like inconclusive, kind of makes you feel a bit screwed. And like you need to buy the next show to find out what's really going to happen. So there's good points and bad points to that. And in in the other promotion uh, we're going to be covering closely, uh, Revolution Pro Wrestling, uh, I'd say that's got more of a, uh, a a current day ROH feel. So so not every show is as important to the overall storyline, uh, and they really they really build around a few super cards that they have, maybe three or four a year. Um, but those those big supercards, similar to what they have in current day Ring of Honor with their pay per views and their New Japan specials, um, they they really have a big big time feel and they feel mm. special for it. They got the the New Japan guys coming over pretty regularly now. They've got like they're part of the uh, international expansion of New Japan, so you get those guys, you get the big names at the York Hall shows three times a year. The thing about the Rev Pro is they have like ongoing storylines smaller storylines and then they bring in like the big names for the big cards as well so they kind of have two things going on one for the for the diehard fans that that go to every show and then the big super cards to draw in people just with the big names like uh 
you know, Okada and uh, and so on and so forth. That's the first show I went to. It was uh, the one with Okada on last year. Mm, that's kind of a new thing for them with the uh, the YouTube channel. They can do that now. They can do week-to-week storytelling, month-to-month, mm. whereas before it really was just kind of the York Hall shows and some other minor ones that maybe some kids went to. <laughs> it definitely fleshes the, the product out. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it might not be TV in the conventional sense, but then people don't watch TV like they used to anyway, so putting it on the internet is fine. It's a good way to build the build the, the audience and uh, make the, the shows mean something. Definitely. And they're doing a very good job of it. Revolution Pro definitely has more of a... Um... They are more of a reliance on their special attractions, like the uh, New Japan talent, or they they do bring in um, several talents from over in the uh, the US indie scene. Like uh, up in October, they're bringing in ACH, and they they brought in Ricochet in the past, and uh, Austin Aries. Well, they keep trying to bring in Ricochet; he doesn't always turn up. <laughs> uh, well, uh, progress is definitely um, it, it's it's definitely more centered around the domestic UK talent and uh, bringing yeah. through a lot of the. Uh, the UK guys, uh, they do have the occasional import, um, but they're, they're definitely more more focused on building up their own guys yeah. and uh, making them into draws. Well, having the two different uh, promotions very sort of localised down in London, you've got a lot of guys who work for both of them, and they're gaining the opportunity to work with uh, with big international stars. I'm thinking about guys like Will Ospreay in particular, who's had the chance to do that and do little storylines sort of week to week and learn how to build this character a bit. I think it's helped uh, the UK talent to have two different kinds of promotions running at the same time. And there's, there's not been anything like that for, for quite a long time, not since probably FWA. Yeah, it's definitely a great opportunity for uh, our guys to get better by working a lot of different pla- different people from different places. Mm. Yeah, they're not going to get better working the same matches against the same guys. I mean, the FWA was that's what happened with them, uh, especially the uh, academy guys. They were just wrestling the same matches, same guys, week in week out, and they all had the same trainer. Um, so they also had the same faults uh, in their game, and nobody really noticed that. Whereas now, you get to guys like uh, Osprey, like Skrull. And they have a chance to work with a lot of different people, and it's uh, it's great for them. It's uh, a chance for them to really improve their skills. And now they're getting to go uh, to Los Angeles this summer. Yeah. Should we start running down the uh, the progress show, chapter twenty? Yep. Um, so this uh, is it, July twenty sixth. Yeah, this Sunday. If you're watching, listening now. Yeah. Uh, this Sunday. Uh, Progress is have running its uh, chapter twenty show, uh, which is uh, actually their twenty twenty first main show um, because they uh, they had a double double no twenty second yeah they had the World, <laughs> the World Cup, Cup as well and and a double show so chapter twenty is actually their twenty second show uh, but don't let that confuse you too much like it did me and that's going by the name of uh, Thunder Bastard. Beyond Thunder Bastard, which is the sequel to last year's Thunder Bastard <laughs> show. You just wanted to say Thunder Bastard a lot, didn't you? It, it it's it's a great word, <laughs> underused word. And the Thunder Bastard match itself, uh, kick us off. It's Tom Tom Irvin, El Ligero, Mark Haskins, Eddie Dennis, Nathan Cruz, Damon Moser, Rampage Brown, and Marty Skrull, all in the match. And it's kind of uh, an elimination 
Royal Rumble type deal with two guys starting off and then every couple of minutes a new guy joining the match uh, and pinfalls and submissions only uh, eliminating them. I, I believe disqualifications as well. Yeah, yeah. But not over the top rope. No over the top rope. So it's a, if you ever watched the DDT like undercard uh, matches where they have loads of like comedy wrestlers in, it's a bit like that. It's kind of like a, a cross between an Elimination Chamber and a Royal Rumble. Mm. And a lot of these guys have a lot of history with each other. The main story heading into this match will be The Origin, who debuted at Chapter 19. Well, re-debuted essentially because they were the Faceless and they turned into The Origin because the Faceless angle was a bit naff, to be fair. And they revealed themselves to be Nathan Cruz, El Ligero, Damon Moser, and Danny Garnell. They immediately kicked Danny Garnell out of the group and then kicked Moser out of the group a bit later. I think at the next show, was it? I can't remember. Um, yeah, it was night two. So do you want to uh, give a bit of uh, backstory on the uh, the faceless angle for those not as familiar with progress? Okay, so I, they, start, they started this, uh, the faceless, as like an underground movement type of thing. They got a Twitter account, they kept bugging the main progress account. There were like posters in the electric ballroom with like the faceless logo on them and essentially like trying to get a thing going like who are the faceless they eventually debuted at chapter 16 uh where they like interrupted the progress raffle the bastards (laughs) and they're wearing these guy fawkes masks essentially like faceless literally and that was kind of what killed them. What made them interesting was also what killed them, because it meant that the wrestlers couldn't convey any emotion when they were wrestling, and it made their matches very dull. So a change needed to be made. They made it uh, after the Tommy N match at the uh, Progress Tournament, uh, Super Strong Style 16. And Nathan Cruz was revealed to be the mastermind behind it. Nathan Cruz, having been kicked out of Progress uh, after he possibly legitimately no-showed a show. For a WWE tryout, I think it was. And now he's back, and he has evil El Ligero in tow, and their their gimmick, the origin, is essentially... But he's but... so nice! <laughs> Ligero can't be evil. He is now. For, for a bit of um, a reference, Ligero's kind of like um, El Generico, but a British version. He's from Leeds. No, he's not. He's from Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> Leeds in Mexico. He's 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 from Mexico the same way um, El Generico was Mexican. Mm-hmm. But anyway, this kid-friendly guy is now a heel, and their muscle Moser and Garnell they've done away with them. So it was the first two Progress champions. Nathan Cruz was the first. El Ligero was the second, and they've essentially come back to reclaim their top spot. They had the tag titles, and then the next day lost them to the Sumerian Death Squad which was a very strange move uh, to neuter your new heel faction in one day. But I guess this match will now build them up again with Moser and their issue with him. So that'll be the main story in this match. It, it felt to me like when they realised the Faceless weren't working, and as you mentioned, they weren't working partly because their matches were really bad, one, because they couldn't convey any emotion, they also didn't seem to want to do any moves in case it gave yeah. away who they were. Just punches and kicks. It's the old Ric Flair as Black Scorpion. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
surprise, surprise, uh, they had terrible matches because they weren't doing anything in the matches and uh, were not over at all because of it. Uh, so they uh, they seem to want to press the, the reset button on the group. Um, and in doing so, they, they brought in a, a new member and then rapidly kicked out two of the old members, two of the three. So um, it's now a, a tag team. Um, who only half of them were in the original group, and uh, they they had the tag tag belts going in. Uh, they were revealed as the new group, and then they they swiftly lost them. So it felt to me like this was their way of saying, right, forget the whole faceless thing. It didn't work. Let's yeah. just sweep that under the rug. It's a hard reset. And uh, start again with them. There's plenty of other history between the guys in this match as well with uh, the screw indie wrestling guys, which I guess is now doesn't exist. Uh, kind of went away quietly, but Rampage Brown, Mark Haskins, oh, Brown and Haskins had the feud, but yeah, Brown, Haskins, and Cruz all were in uh, Scrindy Wrestling, now they're facing off against each other, Eddie Dennis was a big target of uh, the Faceless's uh, attacks, so he's in this match as well, so there's a lot of history between the different participants in this match, so that should be something to watch out for, and then the wildcard, Tom Irvin, uh, you guys familiar with the geezers and their gimmick i am um i'm not sure how exactly i'd describe <laughs> it but uh, i'm familiar it's sort of like self-aware lad banter gimmick that that's the quickest summation that i can do uh but they've gained a v- rapid popularity because they are legitimately funny which helps and they're essentially like the uk young bucks in that they're like talking up how good they are and eventually that talk, that like ironic talking about how good they are, turned into legitimate talking about how good they are. Despite Tom Irvin having wrestled about two matches this year, <laughs> this is uh, Irvin's main show debut. Um, so this this eight way match, the winner gets uh, a title shot um, whenever they want it. Um, last year, the winner was um, Will Ospreay. Uh, he went on to cash in against Jimmy Havoc um, unsuccessfully. Uh, who who do you guys want to see win this match? Um, I personally, I'd like to see Haskins win it. He's kind of like a, he's really good. And he's been really good for a very long time, and he's he's long overdue a, a chance to prove that. And uh, yeah, I think he'd be good for it. Um, not sure how the, the the booking would cater to that, but you know, it'd be nice. So. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, he he isn't up to much in the story the progress story right now so he'd definitely be a good challenger for well <laughs> we'll talk about who the champion will be later um i would love to see tom urban win it but that would probably <laughs> not be a good idea because i don't know how good a wrestler he is to be honest <laughs> he's certainly a great character and obviously marty skull is always threatening a progress title challenge but yeah, it's kind of open, really, in this one. Really, only Damon, Damon Moser is the one who can't win, but everyone else has a chance, so it's open. I think they're probably going to give the win to um, either Cruz or Leguero. Probably Cruz. I think that would make the most sense at this point. Um, they've quickly transitioned him away from the, the tag division on the last show. Um, so, But they're, they're, they're obviously setting him up for something big. Uh, giving him this this angle, so uh, I think that transition away from the the uh, tag t- tag division could be to uh, get him a title shot 
and be a potential mm. challenger to uh, probably Osprey, assuming he wins the uh, the belt. But we'll get to that later. Next match: uh, Wild Boar, Bubblegum, Flash Morgan Webster, Kyle Ashmore, Fatal Four Way. Um, the big one, the big storyline here is uh, Morgan Webster. He currently has his uh, Natural Progression Series title shot after his tournament win. Uh, so they're kind of building him up. He beat Bubblegum at Chapter 18, and now Bubblegum's back with Boar and Ashmore in tow. In this, It's a bit of a random match, and partly it's here to essentially put the Meltzer Trapper Keeper on the Electric Ballroom <laughs> show. And if you don't know what that is, think Young Bucks Meltzer Driver, but with two bigger guys and with like a pile driver type move. It's very, very awesome. Senor Lariato has a gif of it somewhere roaming around, so you can probably find it. And if you're going to the show, you will probably see it, because I think that's exactly why they booked this match, to show that and give Webster another win. Yeah, so uh, Webster's been kind of floating for a while. Uh, he won the uh, Natural Progression Series, which is their uh, their rookie tournament, or maybe not rookie is quite the right word, but... Uh... Young, like unfeatured guys i guess yeah uh guys who aren't as established um and uh he won the second uh tournament of that um the first winner was mark andrews current tna guy and that really helped establish him he had a 10 minute title reign which was ended by jimmy havoc and since morgan's won it um he they've kind of yeah when you win it you get a title shot um but they they it's kind of clear that he's not ready for that title shot yet, so he's kind of been hovering uh, while he uh, he's in between um, winning the the tournament yeah. and uh, catching. They're building him up. I I thought of his match with Zach Gibson uh, in the MPS final was excellent. It was the second best match on that show, and it was really like a no one had any expectations for it going in, and they really blew everyone away. So. Uh, Probably like four stars I gave it. I can't remember. It probably doesn't matter. But it shows that Webster does have some main event potential. He's not a main event guy just yet. But matches like this are designed to build him up. So we'll see where they go with that. Webster really doesn't do a lot for me. Um, he he tries to do a lot of moves. Um, but it not, not, not a lot of his stuff really connects, connects for me. Um, mm. The, uh, the the Zach Gibson match was good, but I, for me, a lot of that was from Zach Gibson. Oh, it's um, criminal that Zach Gibson isn't on this show. He's been fantastic for progress this year, I think. But the angry Liverpool fan gimmick is just perfect for a heel in London. <laughs> and I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan myself, yeah. but it, it's it's brilliant um, to what, what he's been doing there. Uh, yeah, I, I don't like Webster that much. Uh, um <laughs> Yeah, Webster doesn't do a lot for me. He's uh, he's not very uh, smooth or anything. You'd think he would be. He's not carrying a lot of weight. He's not got a lot else going for him. He's kind of got a, a decent gimmick, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I watched his match with the uh, Wild Boar, and I, I thought uh, Wild Boar was the better man in that. Hmm. Well, he had a better showing. Um, next match is the first match of the third Natural Progression Series tournament. Sebastian versus Damien Dunn. It's both guys' electric ballroom debut. Uh, Sebastian is the other half of the geezers. Um, and Damien Dunn is uh, the brother of Pete Dunn, who was in last year's tournament and a regular on shows up and down the country. 
Uh, either of you guys have any strong thoughts on Damien Dunn or Sebastian? I feel very strongly about how bland Damien Dunn is. Uh, <laughs> then I, I haven't seen him for about two years, so maybe he's gone a bit better, but he's always struck me as one of these uh, small venue baby faces that, uh, you know, you claps along with the, yeah, cheer me, cheer me, and uh, <laughs> the stuff like that, which I'm not overly keen on. But um, I'll say he uh, might have a, a better chance to prove himself in a, in a, a better setting. Uh, Sebastian, I think he's promos are pretty good but i haven't really seen him work that much mm, he, he's still got a long way to go to become like a really good worker but uh his promos like tom Irvin's, are very strong like he's legitimately funny and he's he's a natural heel but he's almost turned into a baby face with the geezer stuff so we'll see how that one goes they could surprise us uh the next match on the show is a grudge match uh dave mastiff versus noam dar um that's a match they've been building for a couple of shows now, and not particularly successfully, especially their match in the uh, Super Strong Style tournament, which fell flat because of a weird concussion angle. It may have not been an angle. No one no one has given me a definitive answer. I'm pretty sure it's an yeah. angle, because they, they carried on for like at least five minutes, probably close to ten minutes after the supposed concussion. I can't imagine they'd they'd carry on that far yeah. if he was really injured. But, he, but it it was definitely awkward. it was awkward to watch because even if it is an angle, you still don't want to see a guy, a character who has a concussion, like getting beaten silly like that, and it just it killed the match and like Dar nearly won it, and that just would have made Mastiff look really weak. And yeah, it didn't work for me at all. Of all people, Mastiff shouldn't be someone looking weak. He's incredibly thick. <laughs> In the uh, the chest area, I'd say he's, uh, he'd fit in quite well in Big Japan. Uh, he's got that kind of style as well. Uh, he had a very good match with Kevin Owens, which is on YouTube. It was, uh, I think, it was in Preston, Preston City. Worth a look. Mm, he hasn't really had like a a blow away match for since I've ever seen him. Really, um, I would say I've his... been watching him for ten years, and um, <laughs> he is getting better. He's a lot better now than he was uh, 10 years ago. Yeah. He used to be very uh, nondescript, just kind of uh, clubbing forearm blows. Now he kind of has a move set. Uh, you know, there's the cannonball in the corner and uh, there's a lot of heavy hits and stuff. It's, it's a lot better, the style that he's adopted now, than the one that he had 10 years ago. He's, mm. he's definitely improved. And he's also gained a couple of stone. <laughs> yeah, he's thrown uh, German into the, uh, the corners always. An impressive sight. Oh, it's beautifully reckless. Yeah, this is a good chance for him to have like a really good match. Uh, they've had a match before in progress in one of the earlier shows, but like now they're more refined, better wrestlers. This is if this show could really be made or made or broken by this match. If it's really good, we could be on for one of their best shows ever. If it kind of falls flat again, then maybe not. I can see it working. I mean, you've got uh, if Dave throws uh, Dar around quite a lot. It uh, it could um they could build up a good underdog yeah. vibe. For I'm just him. worried they're gonna throw in too much story like they have in their last couple of matches. Yeah, it'd it's... be better as a straight up beating. Yeah, with a lot of plucky underdog comeback stuff. Mm. I'd uh, I'd like that. That'd be good. He's a very good technician, Dar. Very good. Um, mm. solid on the mat. Crazy young as well. He's only like 21, 22. I mean, he's been around for ages. I mean, he must have started yeah. when he was about fourteen. Yeah, he's been on a good match roll lately with Skull and uh, 
Paul Robinson on my last couple of Progress shows. So I expect good things from this one, as long as they keep the story concussion-y stuff out. Uh, match 5 is the Progress Tag Team Championship match. Sumerian Death Squad versus the Hunter Brothers, who won the number one contendership at the last Endeavor show, beating the Riots, the London Riots, the Geezers, and uh, Regression. Uh, any thoughts about Death Squad and Hunters? I think this will be good, as long as they uh, they keep it in the ring, primarily. Um, the, the Death Squad, when, the, when they do keep it in the ring, they're very good, but they do have a, a chance to... Um, to enter into lengthy crowd crowd brawls. I do like a crowd brawl, yeah. Which is great live, but uh, less so if you're watching on video and yeah. you don't get any of the atmosphere. Absolutely. It, it's great live when it's in front of you, but it's not great for the, uh, the other 200 people yeah, in the arena who can't see anything. alive and can't see anything at all. Well, they used to do a lot of that in um, ECW, used to do it all the time, and... Um, the, cr- the atmosphere from the crowd was really good, but then, you know, you watch it on TV and you, you can't even see where they're fighting. So I think it's, yeah, there's, you kind of win some and lose some with it. But yeah, I don't like them. Especially as Tommy's so good in the ring anyway. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Dante, for me, very underrated. You, you don't get to see him a lot without being Tommy's partner, but um, I think he's he's brilliant. he uh, did, did you guys get a chance to see... Um, the match the Sumerians had with Sweet Jesus a few progress shows yeah, back. Yeah, I've seen that one. I thought that was that was excellent from all four guys. Um, yeah, uh, Sweet Jesus really stepped up for that one. Um, what, what what do you guys think about the Hunter Brothers? Um, I'm fairly familiar with them. Um, being in Birmingham half the time now, uh, I get to see them a lot around there, and they're usually one of the better acts on the shows. Like they got good fan support and. They're pretty exciting in the ring. I'm not going to say they're amazing, but they're solid hands, and I think they'll get a good match yeah, here. They're pretty, they're pretty good as a team. You, you couldn't see either one of them really going, breaking out into singles or anything. It's just, that's what they are. They're a tag team. Lifers. But yeah, they're, they're okay. I still I think they'll lose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is, this it is, definitely this seems is like a filler first type first of First defense match, kind of. But this is also the debut in the Electric Ballroom, so in front of the big crowd, the hot crowd. Let's see what they can do. I'm looking forward to the match. Um, should be good, but I'm not expecting anything to blow away. Move on to the final match. Yeah, and this is the uh, definitely the uh, the the big. Uh, this draw is the big one. This, yeah. show. this is literally the big match that they've been building for a year. Jimmy Havoc versus Will Osprey two, uh, and they've been building this since last Thunder Bastard. Really, when Osprey won it, he cashed in that Thunder Bastard win unsuccessfully in January. But here he is again after winning the Super Strong Style 16, which put him over really big because he got to beat Roderick Strong and Zack Sabre Jr. in the same night. So they've really legitimised him with all these wins and high-profile matches. He, he is really, really good, though. I and mean, if uh, <laughs> if anyone's listening and they haven't actually seen Will Ospreay, uh, he's probably the, the best prospect. Well, he's not probably. He is the best prospect that we've got in, yeah. in the UK scene at the moment. He's outstanding. Yeah. Uh, Character-wise, not got a lot going on, I wouldn't have said. Uh, his promos are a little bit non-existent, almost. His character comes in ring with all his facial expressions. Like, I'd, yeah, yeah. I'd only say the only two guys who are better at the like sympathetic babyface stuff are Tazawa and Sami Zayn. He's literally the third best guy on Earth at the sympathetic babyface getting killed 
selling. You don't like the, the Tomoaki Homer, uh, the, oh, why can't I win, my head hurts. <laughs> oh, I mean, like, uh, like, falling over, looking like your back's broken, kind of thing. Like, the small guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean, yeah, yeah. Tomoaki Homer's a big guy. Like, he can handle himself. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the ladies love him. <laughs> but yeah, other than Zack Sabre Jr., who technically isn't British. I'd, I'd say he's already yeah. broken out. I mean, he's uh, been working for Noah for well, uh, three or four years. Three years? Three years, I want to say. Yeah. Um, Started in 2012, so yeah, about three years now. Like Will Ospreay, it, uh, he's in the bowler, so um, you know he's going to make an impact there, I guarantee you. He's just that, he's that good. Yeah, he's very much in tune with the bowler style, so he'll do really well there. So uh, maybe we can uh, go back and it's it's about a three year, three long uh, history. But if we uh, we can uh, try and sell progress somewhat on uh, the uh, <laughs> Jimmy Havoc's entire character arc, because yeah. this this is kind of this is the I think it would be fair to say this is the biggest match ever in progress history. I don't think that's an overstatement. This is the one they've been building to, absolutely. And uh, so if we go back uh, and introduce Jimmy Havoc to people not familiar with him. Uh, for the longest time, he was a deathmatch wrestler. And then when he joined Progress, he they, they ran a storyline that they were they were only booking him on the condition that he wouldn't roll around in broken glass. <laughs> so they had a they had a big uh, book Jimmy Havoc com- campaign where they were where they were first booking him. Um, and then he went on a uh, he uh, debuted at Chapter Two, and um, which is their second show. And uh, he went on a, a losing streak, but uh, every, he was going against some of the uh, the, the mo- most well-known regular wrestlers in the uh, the UK. Um, and every time he was he was doing brilliantly, but coming up short. And he he quickly became one of the most I'd say probably the most over babyface uh, in the company at that time. Would you agree, Ollie? Um. Yeah, I'd say so. Like, he built up a really good reputation as, like, a fighter, like, a guy scrapping, trying to learn a new craft of technical wrestling. Yeah, it kind of climaxed that match with Sabre Jr. Um, uh, Yeah, Nigel McGuinness was brought in to be the special ref, and uh, they they had a a brilliant technical match together. Um, Havoc, I wouldn't say quite hung with, uh, Sabre Junior, but he was he was he was close enough there that it was it was really eye opening to the fact that he really was a brilliant wrestler. Full stop. You like you could ignore that he was an ex deathmatch wrestler. He was just a really good wrestler, and Nigel McGuinness uh, put him over as so. Uh, I think the uh, the quote was, um, "You don't need to be doing that deathmatch stuff. Uh, you're you're one of the best in the world anyway." And then the next show, um, Progress put him in a death match. He was not best pleased. Well, he he was. They laid they laid subtle hints that he wasn't pleased, but he in storyline he went along with it on the one condition that he'd he asked for a contract for a match at any time. And as stupid as that sounds, <laughs> that sounds really obvious when I put it that way. But at the time, the character he was playing, and he was talking about. Well, maybe you can bring in my idol Mick Foley if I think I'm ready for that, or something like that. Um, it didn't scream heel turn, at least to me. Did, did it to you? It it does sound uh, obvious in retrospect now, but no. 
and then he uh, he he went on and lost the death match um, against um, it was one of the members of the London Riots um, who are a tag team who uh, they were feuding with the management at the time. I think it was James Davis, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah. So um, after the death match um, on the next show, um, Havoc. Uh, the the London riots uh, turned up at the show again. They weren't supposed to be on that show. The in storyline wise, um, they the idea was that um, that their contracts had run out and that death match was supposed to be their their last match because um, they were feuding with the uh, the management of the uh, company at the time. Um, but then on the next show they showed up um, and. There's a brilliant video of this uh, on YouTube. You can search it at, um, I think it's called The uh, Self-Destruction of Jimmy Havoc. Uh, and if, if you watch it, it's brilliant. Um, I've seen that. It's very good. Jimmy Havoc's in the ring with uh, the... Uh, he's kind of the, uh, the, the face of the management of progress, Jim Smallman. And uh, Jim Smallman's... He's talking about how the riots don't respect the company, they don't respect the fans, and what progress is all about is, even if he's not winning any matches, it's about a guy like Jimmy Havoc, and he, he bends down to put down the microphone, and Jimmy, Jimmy Havoc's in the ring with him, and he's helped fend off the riots at that point with the chair. Smallman bends down to put the mic down, and um, Havoc nails him with the chair, and <laughs> every single person in that arena kind of that a part of them dies inside from that that Havoc was incredibly over as a babyface and that turn when you look back it didn't come out of nowhere at all but at the time it it, it really got the impression that no one was expecting mm, pretty reminiscent of the Seth Rollins heel turn to break up the shield so then from there Havoc went on to um his reasoning behind the turn was that um McGuinness had put him over as this technical wrestler who didn't need to do any of this hardcore stuff and progress was his chance to show the world that he wasn't this just a deathmatch wrestler and then the next show progress management put him in a deathmatch and from there havoc's really turned into this um this evil mastermind of a character this mm, complete um, psychopath <laughs> and he I, he may be the most hated hated guy he hated wrestler in the west oh yeah definitely like you you can say what you want about bad uh heel stables in progress there's been a couple but regression with havoc as the leader and then uh paul robinson and formerly the london riots as henchmen uh they've gotten a ton of heat it really works with the crowd who are uh boozed up ready to be vitrolic and uh yeah just generally a figure of hate Secret to a good loud crowd, just get them good and liquored up before oh, the yeah. show. And no children helps as well. It means they can <laughs> get they can get very violent at times with the story. <laughs> so then the next show, um, earlier in the show they they've talked about how um, both the London Riots and Jimmy Havoc they're no longer going to be booked by Progress for what they did to management. Um, they've they've been kicked out completely. Um, and then the, the show goes on as normal, and uh, that show had the final of the Natural Progression series, and uh, uh, Mark Andrews, um, current TNA guy, um, who was probably the most over babyface 
in the company at that point. He was probably tied with Havoc earlier, um, but with Hal Havoc turning heel, he's you know, kind of your classic plucky young baby face fighting from underneath. And then uh, he won the tournament, which earned him a title shot. And he was like, "Fuck it, we'll just do it now." And then he like rolls up uh, Rampage Brown, the champion. And Rampage is like this this big, um, yeah, big hoss. I did just watch this match about uh, dominant guy an hour ago, so it's fresh in the memory. <laughs> like he's just throwing Andrews around, and then he like pushes the referee, and then takes his eye off the ball, gets rolled up. And Andrews wins. But then... <laughs> the crowd's going absolutely nuts. They're, they're, like... Andrews is celebrating in the crowd. The crowd's surfing him all around the the uh, the venue um, on top of them. And then uh, Jimmy Havoc's music hits. Uh, he comes out. He uh, uh, Him and the Riots attack Andrews. They, they tape Andrews' partner to the ring post. And then he hits... I think he first he chokes Andrews out and then hits him with a uh, pile driver. So so he's got his contract that he signed earlier, which should have really been a a huge um, a huge advertisement for the heel turn, but I didn't see it coming personally. And uh, he he says, right, I'm gonna cash in this that this contract for any match any time, and I want a title shot right now, and I I want um I want you to be the uh, referee, Jim, who's the guy. Who owns the company and um, uh, he attacked with a chair earlier. And, and Jim, yeah. So Jim, Jim says, "No, you're not. You're not. That's not what the contract was meant to be. It was meant to be a match against anyone you want, but not when you want it." So um, um, Havoc douses Andrews in lighter fluid, takes out a, a lighter, which obviously changes uh, Jim's mind, and um, so he hits him with another. Uh, power driver this time on top of the uh, progress has a well it had a title staff so it was a big metal ornament on top <laughs> of the staff yeah and he um he power drives him onto the the staff um and then pins him and andrews kicks out um so then havoc which we got a huge babyface reaction only for havoc to then choke out Andrews again and power drive him again onto the staff and pin him one two three. Mm -hmm. That was late twenty twelve, I think. Yeah, it was. Maybe early twenty thirteen. Oh no, yeah, yeah. And Havoc's, Havoc's been champion ever since. Um he's he's beaten everyone. Uh he's he's managed to toe the line between being a dominant champion, a dominant heel champion, but also cheating just enough yeah so that the fans really hate him he's dominant uh, but with he doesn't his goons as well and like he gets violent he uses his goons generally he's he's not a likely he's not a likable guy um and then a few shows after he'd won the title havoc was complaining that he wasn't getting the respect he was due from the progress fans and as a result he was going to go after one of the guys um that the progress fans loved uh so this is will osprey um had just lost a match um that was um tag team crucially because paul robinson turned on him to join jimmy havoc from their sorts of essex tag team oh uh, yeah yeah um so they'd just been in a tag team match and uh will osprey's longtime partner uh paul robinson 
just as he went to go for the tag, uh, Paul Robinson had jumped off the apron, as you see fairly regularly in uh, wrestling, um, and turned on him. Uh, and then afterwards, Havoc came out, and uh, he uh, he told him, I think he was tied to a uh, tied Osprey to a chair, and uh, he pulled a knife on him. It was very Reservoir Dogs, very reminiscent of that. Has anyone else got Steelers Wheel playing at the moment? Or... <laughs> <laughs> I think they might have actually played that song over the bit. I can't remember. Like he. I think they did actually. Yeah. That... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just imagining that. No, they they did. That's for a uh... show on YouTube, so anyone can go look that up if they want to. And that's chapter 13, which is the free show they have. So that kind of kicked off the feud between um, Osprey and uh, Osprey and Havoc. He didn't. He went to stab him, but then uh, the London Riots, who were stablemates with um, stablemates with Havoc at that point, pulled him off. Um, obviously, they didn't want to be involved in a in a murder storyline-wise, um, which was a good way to get out of the fact that obviously you can't actually stab someone in a wrestling <laughs> ring. Um, and from there. Um, Osprey, that was the point where Osprey was really turned into uh, one of the younger guys who wasn't really featured into one of the... the that kind of kicked off yeah. Osprey's rise to the top of the uh, UK independ- independent scene where he is at the moment. Because after that, the next chapter was the Thunderbastard match, which he won. And after that, they had the the eight-man titles careers match with him jumping off the balcony, which was crazy. Yeah, so in that match, um, which was every, everyone in the match had to put up either their title that they, they had, or um, if they didn't have a title, their career had to go on the line. Uh, that was uh, the regression stable, which was Jimmy Havoc, um, Paul Robinson, Will Ospreay's ex-partner, and the London Riots. Uh, and they went up against um, Noam Dar, um, Will Ospreay and the current, at the time, tag champions, FSU, which was Mark Andrews and his partner, Eddie Dennis. Um, and that was a terrific uh, match uh, and uh, probably most famous for Ospreay hitting a moonsault off the balcony, mm-hmm. uh, off a balcony onto everyone. I'd say that match uh, probably defines progress. It's sort of a it can turn into a car crash at times, but it's crazy. It's awesome. Everyone is a bit drunk. It it, it, it defines progress. It's crazy. It's a car crash, and it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, and in that match, um, it looked like Osprey was going to get the uh, the pin on Havoc um, by hitting the 630, um, which would have won Osprey the championship from Havoc, which was the stipulation. Um, but uh, Paul Robinson pulled Havoc out of the ring and it, the 630 ended up being hit on one of the riots. Um, so that led to um, the London riots being kicked out of progress. Um, so from that point on, the London riots um, were out of progress and recently came back um, as uh, the good guys this time. They've made up with progress management uh, and are now... This this is what I wanted to talk about a bit because 
Paul Robinson and the riots aren't booked on chapter 20, which means they're definitely getting involved in um, the, the title match, whether that's before the match, after the match, during it, whatever. But they are definitely going to get involved, and I just hope that it doesn't ruin the match as like a single match. Like It'll obviously play into the story somehow, but I hope that it's done in a way that makes it exciting and a bit different rather than just interfering and letting Havoc win or whatever. Like, it needs to be exciting interference, not lazy interference. Because it, it would make sense from the, the storyline that's been set up, but it may not actually improve the match quality. Yeah. Um, from a nerdy wrestling <laughs> star's point of view. But it's probably no DQ for something like that to happen. So, after, after the, uh, the eight-man... Uh, Osprey cashed in his Thunder Bastard match um, for his title shot from that. Um, but a week before um, uh, the, the match was scheduled to happen, in another promotion, um, Osprey got injured. Um, he was attempting to hit a 6.30 cent on, um, and he didn't quite get the rotation, and he kind of landed on his shoulders vertically upside down rather than... Um, how you're supposed to hit a 6.30, so you're more flat. Um, and he injured himself doing that. And ever since then, Osprey's um, in progress. He's built it into the storyline that he's uh, afraid to go to the top rope. And that played into um, the the story, the uh, title match um, Osprey had with Havoc, uh, which was, I think that was chapter 18? Chapter 17. Chapter 17. Um, where Havoc uh, first met Osprey in a one-on-one encounter and Osprey was very much presented like he could have beaten Havoc but because as a high flyer and he was scared to go to the top rope that was yeah. definitely a, he couldn't a hit weakness his, he couldn't hit his finishing move essentially So, and then Havoc took the top rope off which made it impossible to hit it uh, so Havoc retained there, um, and that that at one point looked like that was the end of this story, and that Havoc would move on to other people. But then recently, uh, back in May, um, the Progress held their first ever two-day show, which was a tournament um, called the Super Strong Style 16, uh, featuring 16 guys um, from across the UK and also uh, Tommaso Ciampa and Roderick Strong. And it was a two-day tournament, uh, which was a fantastic set of shows. But uh, in the, uh, the, the, the final of that tournament, um, in an amazing match, uh, Will Ospreay uh, beat Zack Sabre Jr., um, which was definitely the right choice for the final. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of a passing of the torch from being the guy on the British indie scene yeah. from... Saber Junior to um, Osprey. Very glad that uh, very glad that Saber Junior managed to make it to that show because they needed Osprey to beat Saber Junior. That was the match that had to happen before he Osprey would challenge for the title. Because after after that loss to Havoc, he needed he definitely needed something to to make the rematch make him feel worthy of that rematch and winning that tournament and beating Osprey and uh, beating Saber Junior in the final such a terrific match um definitely did that uh and after after the match um which is what you brought up earlier 
uh, Havoc came down to the ring um, with an axe and uh, uh, winning, winning that tournament, uh, Nosprey a shot um, at Havoc's title. And then uh, that brought Havoc down to the ring. So Osprey has just won the tournament. Regression come down uh, and then put the boots to Osprey and Sabre Jr. Uh, Havoc essentially demands uh, a no DQ match for the title shot that Will Osprey has just earned. Uh, he also makes some other demands like more t- more Havoc t shirts <laughs> and a pay rise and wanted to be on the download shows, yeah. Yeah. And he, he said, if if you don't give in to those demands, I'm going to behead Osprey. <laughs> I, I'm actually fine with that, because Havoc delivers it in such a way that it doesn't seem cartoon supervillainy like pretty much anyone else would. He He's the right level of psychopathic in his character to make that. He's got a very, very good balance to his character. Yeah. And to me, it didn't necessarily feel like he actually was going to do it, or he believed he was going to do it. Yeah, it was a bargaining chip. But it, it was, it was the, it was, him knowing that um, progress management wouldn't take that chance just in <laughs> case he would do it. I would have and, said it was highly unlikely, but. Uh... Yeah, but in in the storyline anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, even in the storyline, it, it didn't necessarily feel like he was actually going to behead him, but there was there was that doubt in <laughs> the management. Art minds in the storyline that means of course they're gonna give in to his um, demands. So that that's why this match is a, a no DQ match. Um, that plays into Havoc's strengths, definitely. At first, I wasn't really too happy with it being a no DQ match because I'm not sure that's gonna be the uh, the best environment to really um, have Osprey flourish. And if, as I as I'm thinking that this will be the title change, you really want to have Osprey look uh, look great because Havoc's title run it's gone on so long and, and it's been so good that you you really want to start the the next reign off really strongly. And if you're starting it off in a match that might not quite play to Osprey's strengths, that might not be quite what you want to go with. I'd kind of say the other way around because. Jimmy Havoc's been the title holder for so long that you kind of need a final boss fight from a video game to defeat him finally. He's the big bad to defeat and you need to basically kill him to do that and I don't think just hitting a 630 uh, shooting star press is enough really. He needs to like definitively defeat Havoc at his own game. Like, he needs to take the fight to Havoc. There are are spots that can work in his favour. I mean, like uh, the TLC spot. The TLC matches were basically no DQ. That's the kind of thing that he can use. Uh, that's the kind of thing that can he can uh, improve his environment with, uh, so he can jump off a, a ladder as opposed to the top rope, get oh, himself yeah. a bit more height. Uh, that sort of thing. Whereas the Havoc will just sit as bash him with stuff. They can do a lot with the no DQ gimmick. I just hope that they don't make it too interference based. Oh, hopefully not. I think that the way they've set it up, there's definitely going to be interference. They've set it up so that uh, the London riots are going to be there to to level the playing field against um, uh, the regression havoc's regression stablemates, which are um, uh, Isaac Zercher and uh, Paul Robinson. But I think if they get that that interference, if they they kind of um, take each other out early off on in the match. 
Yeah, yeah, as long as it's part of the storyline and it doesn't overwhelm the match, then there's there's nothing really wrong with it. The match should definitely end with just Havoc and Osprey. Whichever way it goes, I think there's going to be a title change, but even if there's not, it should definitely be just the two of them um, with a definitive finish at mm-hmm. this point. And um, Osprey sort of has his aerial manoeuvres back because he used the Shooting Star Press to defeat Sabre Jr. So, like... That story is a bit over. He still hasn't hit his 6.30 in progress yet since the angle started, though. So I think that would... I think that's got to be the finish of the match, really. That's the, that's the final blow, yeah. I think we're all in agreement that uh, this is the title change. This is the big one to put Osprey over. They've built the ma- match up so well that I can't see them... It, it would take a lot for them to uh, build up someone else this well to take yeah. um, Havoc's title away. And the time it would take... Um, to build someone else up, you know, may take another year, and for Havoc to, like, as good as Havoc is, I'm not sure I want the title on him for three years. I mean, he's been good for two years, but I wouldn't want to push it up to no, three. It, this is the right time, and we are very excited about this match, if, as you can tell. Um, oh, definitely. Like, <laughs> we've been talking for, like, 20 minutes about it, so it's been, it's been building the entire history of progress. Like, this is the match to end this phase of it, at least, that phase of the story. So, very excited and looking forward to the potential title change. The one thing that I could see pointing not towards a title change is the way the, the story they've set up with um, Morgan Webster and the way that he's got a title shot and he's t- like told Havoc he's going to cash in on him. So that's the only, the only doubt in my mind that makes me not certain that they're going that way. I really don't see him as being ready for that spot, though. Webster, really not. So yeah. I can't see them doing that. I don't think they'll tease it here. I think they'll save Webster for another time, especially if they're doing the title change. They wouldn't want to muddy the field. Like, if this is going to be the big hero ending, they wouldn't want to like lessen it a bit by making it more convoluted than it needs to be. So we're all in agreement that we think Osprey's winning here. I would say so, yes. It'd be surprising if you didn't, but um, yeah, I guess so. Progress is full of surprises. <laughs> so um, that's the the end of us previewing that card. You'll be able to, uh, uh, if you're not there live, which I imagine most people listening to this won't be, um, then you'll be able to pick this show up um, and watch on uh, Progress's uh, streaming service, which is similar to the WWE Network or New Japan World, or any of the, uh, the ones um, that are out at the moment, um, called Demand Progress. Um, it's only £4.99, um, which I think is about seven fifty in dollars. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure on that. But... I think that's it. And they usually have to show up about a week after the fact, so not too long of a wait if you're not there live. And I would... Mainly for the main event, almost entirely for the main event, yeah. but I would wholeheartedly recommend um, checking out this show, because I'm sure this main event is going to be amazing. Mm, the undercard isn't the strongest I've ever seen. No Zach Gibson is a bit disappointing. No women either, after the big Ginny versus Pollyanna match from Chapter 19 is a bit of a letdown, but uh, yeah, it looks like a strong show, especially with the main event. Are you uh, going to this one live? I have got a ticket, yes. <laughs> I got one yesterday, so I'll be making the trip. Right, so with progress down, uh, that brings us on to uh, Rev Pro. Um, 
you may have noticed you were one of the uh, few people following my reviews over on the Voices of Wrestling site that the uh, RevPro TV reviews have stopped. And that's because they're going to be moving on to this um, podcast. Um, as a group, we're going to run through the uh, the episodes from this month and tell you if there's anything uh, worth watching on them. Uh, if you're not familiar, um, Revolution Pro Wrestling runs um, a YouTube show every Monday. Um, supposed to come out at 7pm UK time, but they're sometimes a bit late. But if you look on Tuesday morning, they'll almost always be there. Uh, and being on YouTube, it's uh, free. Um, so if it's uh, a way of uh, checking out the UK scene without having to uh, pay anything. Yeah, it's a, it's a good uh, half hour, 40 minutes of wrestling. Some of the studio segments are a bit awkward, but the wrestling itself <laughs> is usually pretty good. Yeah, the presenting... Um, well, it's, it's mostly Andy Quilden, who's the promoter. And I can't remember her name. Zoe... Lucas. Lucas. Uh, yeah, the, their interactions are a little bit... Um... Wooden. <laughs> Wooden, yeah. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a good show. There's always good wrestling on it. And it has helped with the uh, the feuds, which, like, it's a new thing for RevPro to kind of have these ongoing stories from month to the month uh, going on, which is aided by the TV show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I certainly agree with that. The uh, The undercard has always been, I think, an issue for RevPro. They build up these big main events uh, with the imports, but then you look at the undercard and there's maybe... Not so much interest in it. I think uh, RevPro TV is definitely a way to, to build up some interest in it. It's worked with me anyway. Mm-hmm. Especially the Havoc Bodum feud, which we'll get to. So episode 15, I believe, was the first one. Yep. I, I think the, the, the main thing I learned from this is that uh, Marty Skull has still not learned how to wear sunglasses. <laughs> permanently on the back of his head. He has eyes in the back of his head. Presumably. Possibly. I mean, that's the only reason to put uh, sunglasses back there. He does annoy me, but I think that's kind of deliberate. <laughs> yeah, he is a heel, so poor fashion choices comes with the territory. I, I've been very upset with him ever since uh, Summer Sizzler, um, because when he came down to the ring, he was waving his umbrella around, as he does, and he almost stabbed my wife in the eye. <laughs> Missed her <laughs> by, a, I'd say, a, about three inches? Um, yeah, so I almost punched him. Yeah, that's that's the main thing I took from that show. <laughs> I know there was uh, some uh, Bodum and uh, Havoc stuff going on, and there was the Morgan Webster match with Wild Boar. Wild Boar, if you've never seen him, he looks like a really small version of Rhino. <laughs> like like they've shaved like a foot off him, and that that's you know tiny Rhino. And Rhino is not the biggest person to start with, so. No, but that's what he's like. No, I quite like him. He's uh, got a bit of a smash mouth style, whereas uh, Morgan Webster's kind of more of a... Got a little bit of lucha in there. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah, this is a a decent opening match for the tapings. I was there live, so it it worked as the opening match. I'm not sure if it translated well enough to the YouTube uh, platform. It was okay, I would say. It felt like the idea was to get over... Webster, but I came away far more impressed with Boar. Yeah, I felt exactly the same. Webster did far more, but um, the stuff Boar did was came off a lot better. It's a lot sharper, um, a lot crisper. I think Boar does a lot more stuff that I like, though. I mean, I'm kind of into the 
uh, strong style and, the, the, you know, get some real snug striking on the go. And that's what he was doing. Whereas uh, Webster, he's had a lot of different influences. It's kind of hard to see where he's coming from in, in a small match, which is what they got. And the other match was the Jimmy Havoc, Josh Bodham match. Bodham. Yeah. But what did I just say? <laughs> you said bottom. Oh, did I? Ah, same thing. I, I think they've uh, developed a sense of genuine hate. Uh, they're both very aware of uh, their characters and what they're doing. And the anger that they have towards each other, it comes across very well. Their feud's definitely been a highlight of the um, the earlier episodes of the uh, TV. And they've gotten all that across despite having two matches with no finish, which is pretty impressive. Like, the booking of the matches themselves has been fairly weak with no conclusive finish, but... They've been awful finishers. Yeah, definitely. The count-out one was just ugh, so bad. And that was the better of the two. The The other one where they they brawled outside the ring and then the ref tried to get them back into the ring and their response <laughs> was to decide to kick the ref for whatever reason. That was That was one of the worst finishes I've ever seen. But it's gotten over very well because... Almost because of the shitty finish, the crowd got really riled up and really into the feud and the dueling chants of we want Havoc, we want Bowden. And those went on for a good two or three minutes and really like hijacked the show and just showed how much people want to see these two beat the crap out of each other. I thought it was really impressive just how well they got the angle over. With the, the DQ finish, it kind of showed what they were trying to build towards. They got like two guys who hated each other so much that the referee was getting in the way of the fight. So they just kind of knocked him out of the way. Just get out of the way. The fight must yeah. continue. They could have done it a lot better, though. They probably could have done Because he wasn't in the way when it happened. He wasn't, They just no. decided to kick him. <laughs> they could have done with uh, with Chris getting in there and trying to split them up, and then they knocked him down. That it, would have worked better. It builds to the, uh, the no-DQ match that they're going to do at Uprising. So, like... Oh, they're getting disqualified, so we better not put any disqualifications on them. I guess that's, yeah, a that's, that's, some, that's some good old school booking. It's like the uh, you know guy runs away, so you put him in a cage match kind of mentality. It's it that works for me. I just wish being going there live and like going there partly to see the match and then getting a screwy finish. That is a bit disappointing, and like I like when there are conclusive but or conclusive finishes, but that they allow for more story development. So say Bodum gets a flash pin, but Havoc is so pissed off that they can keep fighting. Yeah, and then anyway. they just keep on fighting, yeah. That's what I would prefer than just The finish kind of worked for me, but uh, I can see where you're coming from. It definitely doesn't encourage people to uh, to buy tickets to the the taping shows. But some of the stuff on there is pretty good. It's just um there there will always be some storyline development matches and that that was one of them. It served its purpose very well, so I don't. I, we can't complain about it too much. Yeah, and that led into uh, the opening segment of the next episode, which was episode 16, which you can find on YouTube too, um, which was uh, started with the Revolutionist, which are the stable that Josh Bodum is a part of in uh, RevPro, and they're in the ring, and the storyline here is that um, Josh Bodum is a young graduate of the uh, Portsmouth School of Wrestling, which RevPro is associated with. Um, and he's been taken under the wing of two relative veterans on the British scene. They're only about mid-30s, early-30s, but in the UK scene at the moment, that's veteran. 
so Bodum's kind of the uh, junior, one of the junior members of that stable, and Jimmy Havoc recently came into the uh, the company as a heel, as as well as Bodum as a heel, um, and he stole a win uh, in a multi-man match uh, from Bodum, uh, and that kicked the feud off. Um, but the 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 more senior members of the uh, revolutionist faction, um, they're not. Uh, they weren't happy with um, Bodum. They've got a bit of a heels union going on. Yeah, like their friends made went came up together. So then, to uh, to start off episode sixteen, you had um, the revolutionists in the in the ring, and they ask uh, Havoc to come from the back into the ring, and they 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 say Bodum's going to apologise, <laughs> and then um, then that's going to be the end of the, the feud. <laughs> I, I was laughing because I was just thinking about the slap. It was just the um, the way that they set it up. It was like, okay, they're, they're kind of scrapping a bit, but, you know, there's going to be a handshake, and then he just belts, uh, sorry, Josh, <laughs> uh, belts Jimmy Havoc straight across the chops. <laughs> yeah. And then they have a big pull-apart brawl, and then they do the same thing again. And Havoc, like, drop, drop kicks him at, like, 100 miles an hour, or it seemed like that anyway. Yeah, great heat on this segment. It was really, really fun to watch live. The crowd really got into it. And the interesting thing was that after Bodum had, um, he'd kind of gone against the wishes of the, uh, the more senior members of the group in the Revolutionists, when, when it did get down to it, the, the, um, Shah Samuels and Marty Skrull, who are the two Revolutionist members, um, they they ended up on uh, Bodum's side and ended up beating yeah. down on Havoc. So I, I enjoyed that. But, four on one beatdown. But their allegiance was stronger than any friendship they'd had previously. It was good. It was like multi-layered, worked off of real life. It made sense. I like it when things make sense. Definitely. I, I kind of get the feeling that the the long game here is that uh, that Josh is probably going to turn face at some point. I would have thought it's just. He kind of has a bit of a Dolph Ziggler kind of vibe about him, and um, I can just see him turning at some point. Mm, that could be it, but the, the way they've they've uh, they've kind of reaffirmed the alliance between Bodum and the Heel Stable with that segment, yeah. and they put it was a, ended up as a four on one beating on mm. Havoc. It could be Havoc's the one to go face. Kind of like a an anti-hero kind of face. I know. It's interesting. They could go either way. And it'll be interesting to see what they do. It was definitely a great segment. Yeah, very well, didn't you? There's a lot of stuff that's fairly skippable on the RevPro TV. But um, I, I'd recommend going out of your way to check out this yeah. uh, Bodum Havoc feud. It's it's almost all, all been um, catalogued on the TV show. So you can uh, check it out all out on YouTube. You don't need to buy any of the shows yet. They're going to have the blow off on uh, one of their paid shows but you can check out the uh the whole setup on there it was, it was a good show as a whole because you got um the, the rest of the show was uh, doug williams and johnny storm uh, two uk veterans going at it and they had a they had a very good match as they always do and that, they have been doing for about 15 years now uh doug williams johnny storm and uh, uh jody fleisch was the other one that they came up came through together and they've all done very well for themselves and they've, they've still got something to offer especially Doug I'm amazed Doug isn't somewhere better kind of ended up in the TNA Maya for a while and... yeah he kind of he did okay there but I'm surprised he didn't do better especially with when they put Magnus 
uh, over for the title and you know he was the the guy that Doug had been carrying in the tag team for however long it was beforehand but then I've never understood TNA's booking I don't think anyone does <laughs> so yeah uh, episode 16 is a definite recommendation um, oh, yes. for all of it really um, the the William Storm match they, they, it was a very smartly worked match these guys are both I think Doug might be slightly over 40 and I think Storm Johnny's 38 I think so you know they're no they're no spring chickens, but they're, um, they're, they work the match very uh, very cleverly. Um, and it, it was a very, very British-feeling match. Um, they, they work kind of a... Not, not exactly a World of Sports style, but like the, the evolution of it. Lots of dynamic grappling. Yeah, well, Doug was always like the next level of that, you know, uh, the, the, the more advanced uh, style with the, um, the, the basics of the, of the world of uh, sport, but with other things added in as well. So his his strikes are more meaty because of the time that he spent in Japan. It's uh, that kind of thing. It's like they've kind of advanced the old world of sports style. But they're both very good at what they do. Yeah, there's definitely the second best match of the tapings, mm. by far. I think I'd throw, if I was throwing stars at it, I'd probably say around the three and a half star range. It's a fair assessment, I'd say. <laughs> I've seen them do better, but uh, yeah, it was a good match. Worth checking out. Right, so on to the uh, episode 17, the penultimate one that we're going through today. And that started off with, um, well, it started off really strangely. Um, there was going to be a women's, a women's match. I think that was the first ever women's match that was going to be on, um, TV, uh, on the show. It'd be nice if they had a women's division because of uh, what NXT are doing at the moment. The women's interest in women's wrestling has never been uh, as strong as it is now. I would say in the mainstream, um, mm. you look back at you know, back a long way, possibly to like the first WrestleMania. I would say when they were trying to push a women's division, but those women were not very good. And now you're looking at Sasha Banks, Charlotte, Becky Lynch. They're very talented, and there are a few decent women's wrestlers out there in in the UK as well. Mm-hmm. And after the uh, Virginia Pollyanna match at Chapter Nineteen for Progress, there's definite interest in the UK for that as well. So it's the right time to start featuring it uh, prominently. Uh, something my wife complained about when uh, we went to the uh, Rev Pro show, she was disappointed there was no uh, women's wrestling on there. Um. So so they they booked this women's match. But um, after one of the ladies came out, uh, Zan Phoenix, uh, for her debut, um, instead uh, of uh, her opponent coming out, I can't remember who her opponent was scheduled to be. Um, I don't think they didn't. They didn't announce it. I don't think. All oh, right, uh, Gideon Gray came out. Uh, he's he's a, a comedy heel. He plays kind of an aristocratic gimmick. He, he is he is a terrible wrestler, but he is very hilarious. Yeah, he's he's very, very funny. The promo he cut after the CM Punk uh, cut my promo from Colt Cabana, uh, that had me in stitches. That was fantastic. He's very quick as well. If uh, if somebody jumps on him from the crowd uh, verbally, uh, he always has a reply. He's always got something lined up. He, he He's one of the few people in, well, first time in a long time that have actually cared about Colt Cabana feud. <laughs> Yeah, that feud was surprisingly good. It could have been just awful, but yeah, I got uh, invested in it. It was fun. So uh, he comes out, and 
he he basically it just buries buries women's wrestling in a in a kind of comedy fashion, which would be okay if he then you know I, what I was expecting to happen was uh, Zan to then take him out, but then you had this this comedy male wrestler completely destroying um, this female who they built up. So he's this comedy wrestler. They they haven't come out here. Um, I'm expecting him to get dropped, and then he uh, he beats up Zan, uh, hits the package pile driver on her. It's, yeah, it's pretty brutal as well. <laughs> I wasn't really a fan of this. It was the start of a feud. Hmm. I'd, I'd like to see where they go with it. I, it's not a great start, but um, I, I think you know Gideon Gray. He's he's an, he's an entertaining guy. I think if he brings a woman in to contest in the women's division, perhaps that would be fun because he'd be good as a manager. But uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I could see that. Mm. But it, it didn't put the women's division off to a great start, really. <laughs> no, not, they not had, too good. You had a comedy heel who never never looked dominant at all or even strong at all uh, come in and destroy. It definitely... To have a joke um, be ahead of what you're trying to present as a strong women's division isn't exactly how I'd start it if I was doing uh, if, it. If he turns out to be a manager, I think it'd be okay. But uh, yeah. we'll see how it yeah, turns I out. That. I'm not a big proponent of intergender wrestling. Like, 95% of the intergender matches I've ever seen didn't have the right psychology to them. Like, yeah. I'd rather he just stayed on the outside. But, like... I, I think intergender wrestling can be really good. There's certain women like Candice LeRae who pull it off really well. So I don't know if that's where, where they're going, whether they're going to bring in a female Gideon Grey. Um, let's see where it goes. It's the early stages. I think that would be the better route for them to take than have um, Grey go against Phoenix. Yeah, I'd rather see ladies wrestling ladies. Yeah. And that's not just because I'm old-fashioned. <laughs> It's just it's it's better like their styles mesh more. Whereas with the guy, it's all, you always play that like, oh, I'm not really gonna hurt you, and it's always really awkward to watch. Mm. And not all, not always. With Candice LeRae, they do it really well in PWG and elsewhere. But with other girls who are less used to the intergender style, they don't work the psychology in a way that is fun to watch. Yeah, just from a fun wrestling watching standpoint often the matches are, are very very similar intergender wise and you know they can get boring uh should we move on to the other match that was on there well i say other match that wasn't a match but uh the match was psycho phillips and uh jake mccluskey mr moonsault this was bad uh, it was bad uh i actually kind of like psycho phillips he's kind of got yeah, that same. Kind yeah of i think he has a lot of strong style vibe about him that I kind of like. He He's had a couple of matches teaming with uh, Damo, um, who beat uh, Tomohiro Ishii on the uh, the last big show they had. Um, and I, I, th- I thought he looked really good back, uh, when he was in those tag matches. So to see him see him yeah. lose here to... Um... I, I totally would have booked that the other way around. I'd have, I'd have had Phillips just batting McCluskey. He needs to get some sympathy going because at the moment everyone hates him, including all three of us, I think. <laughs> <laughs> He's sort of like my whipping boy when it comes to RevPro because I think basing your entire gimmick around a move that isn't that impressive anymore 
the, the way he could get over is by doing it the way Ishii does it. Because Ishii does his uh, whole Kakeshi, you know, the diving headbutt and misses all the time. If he can... Homer, right? Homer. But, oh, sorry. I'm looking straight at uh, <laughs> Ollie Court's uh, avatar, which is him standing next to Ishii. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, Honma. He does the Kakeshi all the time. If uh, Jake did the moonsault and he missed it all the time and got battered, I think I'd like <laughs> him a lot more. But he, he'd be fine as a lovable underdog. Uh, him beating guys that are better than him I, doesn't really wash with me, especially with him being a babyface. My problem is that he does the moonsault in his entrance. And it kind of kills any like hype that you could possibly have for him hitting it. But okay, you've already done it. Now what? That yeah, that's the way I see it. Yeah, he definitely needs to be uh, booked differently. He shouldn't be winning matches. Basically, <laughs> I, I'd be quite happy if he lost. I got beaten up a lot. Yeah, yeah. I could see him getting a lot of uh, underdog sympathy <laughs> going based on that. I think I'd like him better if he got beaten up. Yeah, he's 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 definitely not dynamic enough to be a push singles performer because no, I'm not sure if we've we've mentioned he's he his whole gimmick is that he's Mr. Moonsault and that he does moonsaults yeah. and that that's not really enough um enough in 2015 to 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 get you over uh, from what I've seen he's been a lot better in tag matches where he can come in do a hot uh, have his hot tag maybe hit a moonsault, um, do a do a couple of strikes and then get out again. But um he this match here was a, a a huge example of him not being able to hold together a full match. Apart from his moonsault he hasn't really got a lot. Yeah, I thought Psycho Phillips looked good though. This is my first time seeing him in a singles match and he's a bit unrefined, but he's he can get there with a couple of years like learning exactly how he wants to do it yeah i don't think he's been wrestling that long um no maybe a, a year or two max so i think he's good he's good for where he is in his development yeah definitely definite promise there was that phillips was that yeah yeah, yeah I, I do like phillips mccloskey's been wrestling ages i know yeah he's a mark sloan training sloan who also trained uh paul birchall and drew mcintyre he, he trained a lot of guys, but I think the ones that really broke through would have broken through anyway. A lot of the others are very similar. Uh, he was uh, in charge of like FWI Academy. I, I do see him like every time there's a Red Pro show, he's around doing something backstage. So he's he's working with them in some capacity. Uh, he might be training people still there. I wouldn't be surprised. He's, he's a very good trainer. But uh, yeah, some of the guys that he's trained have glaring faults that um, doesn't seem to correct and McCluskey would be one of them Right, so that takes us into our last uh, last episode for this uh, edition of the Roundtable. Easily the best one I would say. Oh yeah, definitely uh, This episode uh, just had one, one match, no other segment really apart from an- announcing uh, AJ Styles versus Jushin Thunder Liger You've got tickets for that show, right? I do. Yeah, yes. I've got tickets for that one. So we'll both be going to that one. Yeah, I think I might have to go to that. Yeah, it's hard to, hard <laughs> to pass up. Yeah, it's AJ and Liger, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think AJ I Liger, to. Osprey Okada, Osprey and uh-huh. Nakamura Skull. Sounds pretty stacked already with only three matches announced. Yeah, I mean, I've already got tickets for the uh, for the second for Uprising, but um, yeah, they kind of caught me by surprise by doing a, a show that loaded the next day. So uh, this this uh, episode featured uh, Marty Skrull versus uh, Will Ospreay, uh, which are two of the I think 
widely regarded the two of the best um, uh, wrestlers on the UK scene today. I don't think I'd get much disagreement there from either of you two. Nope. I, I have some issues with Marty Skrull. Um, it's mainly due to uh, some of the matches that he has. He's only as good as his opponent. And I think the prime example of this was the match he had with Shelton Benjamin last year. Oh. Uh, Shelton came into that really lazy, like not a little bit lazy, he came into it real lazy. All he wanted to do is... Yeah, he was on holiday. He, he threw a few forearms and he just didn't care. And, so that's, and then he won. <laughs> I, I don't really blame Marty for so much for that match, but like that's the kind of match where if you're great, you're going to drag the other guy up, whereas it was kind of meh. Well, Shelton Benjamin doesn't really work hard in a semi-main event of a Noah show, so I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> take it too harsh on Marty for not getting a great match out yeah, of him. That's that's the only thing. Whereas if it was Will Ospreay in that match, I think he probably would have dragged a better match out of him just by being what he is. He does kind of have a um, a formula as well for his bigger matches. They, if you've seen a few of them, they you can kind of predict exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, the super kick, just getting... Yeah, early arm work, gum in the mouth of his opponent, all that always happens. But he, if he's in there with someone very good, the match is almost always going to be very good. There, there are certain guys that um, they will always be good, but if they're in there with someone great, then they'll step their game up. I think Sting would be a, kind of an example of that. Uh, probably The Rock. Uh, I'd say Skull's that kind of guy where he's he's as good as the guy he's wrestling and if the guy that he's wrestling is better than him he'll step his game up and that showed against Osprey I'd say yeah he had a really really good match that no one will ever see against Chris Hero last year in Birmingham which I had the pleasure of seeing envious so um these these two guys are uh if in case you haven't heard uh are two of the guys that are going over from the UK to uh, Los Angeles in August uh, for the Battle of Los Angeles 2015. Uh, these were the two, first two guys announced, so uh, if you're not too familiar for, with the UK scene and you're looking for uh, somewhat of a preview for uh, some of the UK guys that are going to be in Bola, uh, episode 18 is a great way to at least start. This felt very much like a Bola showcase match. They went all out to like show their biggest moves off and their biggest counters oh some of the countering was great uh some of the sequences they got lined up the the counters yeah. that they got in there were great so fluid <laughs> to be fair though uh not a lot of selling in this one there, there, no. there was a, a <laughs> lot of headshots very pwg style a lot of headshots massively spotty but <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's good stuff though they did well like so with osprey i think he's gonna take it to the next level when he goes to uh, Battle of Los Angeles, I think he'll probably get matched up with some guys he's not been in there with before. And I think he's going to do very well over there. Skull, like I say, is as good as his opponent if he gets good matches, mm -hmm. which he should do because pretty much everyone that's in it's good. Uh, he should do well as well. But Osprey, I think, will uh, turn heads big time. Definitely, yeah. Osprey's have some of my favorite matches worldwide this year against he had a match in february against aj styles and then a match more recently against uh 
Matt Seidel, and both of them were absolutely amazing. That Matt uh, Seidel match was very, very good. I'd say that was pushing five. <laughs> you should definitely go out of your way to check those matches out. Definitely. Like, Will Ospreay, some would say maybe he's unrefined, maybe, like, he needs to learn more about selling, but he's spectacular. Like, there's no one quite like him. It's not so much the selling that bothers me, because selling can be taught. It's his accuracy that, that worries me the most. Because in that match with Skrull, uh on episode 18 of the, of the Rev Pro TV, uh, he hit two top rope moves, and both of them were into Marty's legs. Yeah. Um, that would worry me a little bit, because you look at uh, uh, Adrian Neville... And every time he comes off the top rope, he's chest on chest, bang, it's yeah. perfect. Uh, every time Kota Ibushi comes off the top rope, it's bang on target. Whereas, you know, Will, every now and again, it's not where it needs to be. That would be a, a concern. Because sooner or later, he's going to land on someone's head. Hikuto uh, uh, Hidaka was uh, another guy that did that a lot. And he never progressed because of that. Um I think Will's better than him. Um, so I'd hmm. like to see him work on that so he lands uh, more of his top right moves where they need to be every time. I think going to Bola, going to PWG, working with some of the best flyers in the world, like Mike Bailey, like that can only help him. Yeah, the, the better guys that he works with, the better he'll get. That's the same with anyone. It's like If you don't get better working with good wrestlers, then you're not a good wrestler and you never will be. But he's a guy that can work with people and improve and he's shown that uh, working with Matt Seidel. Mm-hmm. That... He's already come on leaps and bounds this year because if you were looking at him towards the end of last year in this match with Seidel, um, it may have entered one of the uh, York Hall shows. Um, it was good, but the big fault was the selling. Uh, that that's For me, that's gone away more recently. His, his match he had with uh, Sabre Jr., uh, his selling was the highlight of the match, and it just yeah. If if he comes into a match and he's injured, uh, like he had his shoulder taped at the uh, Progress show from last year, uh, when he's got an injury and he can focus on it, he does. Uh, I'm worried about like the like he takes a shot in the head and then he springs back up, but then in the the Rev Pro match on episode 18, Marty Skill was doing exactly the same thing, so it's not a fault so much with him it was the match they wanted something fast paced mm. so that's more the more the way they structured the match than than a selling issue which for a for them going to PWG this year it's it's probably almost if if they if they did too much selling they wouldn't quite fit in that environment as well as weird as that sounds they they did uh, a lot of fatigue stuff in that match like towards the end they, they were kind of it was you know, both guys are exhausted, the crowd's revved up, and uh, that worked. So in that respect, though, it was worked. But uh, I'd be a bit worried about, you know, the number of headshots they do in a row. It's like, you know, super kick, super kick, kick in the face, near fall kind of thing, as opposed to kick in the face, near fall. Mm, I think we want him to be, like, even better than he already is, because he's so good as he is now. Oh yeah, he's definitely capable. But uh, doing bowler, that's like step one. I Personally, I'd love to see him do a tour of Japan. I think Super Juniors yeah. would be perfect for him. Super Juniors would be amazing. Uh, I think he'd possibly in Dragon Gate, that would be 
very well suited to his skills. Yeah, he'd fit in with Dragon Gate. He's done a couple of uh, Dragon Gate UK shows yeah. when they ran. Going over there is, is different, though. He'd definitely fit in either of those two environments. And uh, with RevPro um, uh, strengthening their relationship seemingly this year with New Japan, um, I guess that's more of a possibility than ever. Oh, yeah. They're one of the official affiliate partners now, going by the uh, PowerPoint presentation at the G1 Climax uh, press conference. So, yeah. There's things are happening for Rev Pro. It's like not only are they getting mentioned in uh, uh, New Japan, but they're in the uh, WWE in the package for Finn Balor. <laughs> they showed uh, a couple of clips from your call. So that it's happening for them. Place to be. I think you got... Uh, are there five UK guys in the Battle of Los Angeles this year? Uh, four. There's Sabre Jr. and Mark Andrews alongside Scott. And Galloway. And Galloway has five. He is from the UK. The Scotland is still in the UK. They voted and everything. I mean, he's spent most of his time in, uh, in the WWE at this point. But yeah, he's trained in uh, FWA, didn't he? Uh, yeah, he got trained by Mark Sloan. So uh, he did uh, FWA's Academy. That's that's where he trained. We'll be uh, covering more of the uh, the UK guys in bowler in uh, next month's episode of this show. Hopefully, we'll know the matches by then. I'm not sure if they released the matches for bowler actually. Um, have to look into that. I don't think they did last year. I would love to see Osprey Pentagon Junior. <laughs> that's the dream match for me. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Oh, I was thinking of his US. Indie options, but I forgot the uh, the Lucha Underground and AAA guys are in there. Because there's an awful lot of uh, very diverse guys in there this year. It uh, it should be an entertaining tournament. It's a fantastic lineup. Yeah, I think uh, to be honest though, Will Ospreay, I think he's going to be one of the the show stealers this year. If he gets an opportunity to, I can't see how he wouldn't be. I I think they watch a lot of stuff so uh, I, I'd be surprised if they didn't know what he could do otherwise he wouldn't be there in the first place um, so yeah I, I think he'll do well as long as he's not eliminated first round he, I can't imagine he won't be amazing I'd be surprised I could see Mark Andrews maybe going out in the first round Galloway maybe first round but uh, not Will I think he'll have a decent run and Tommy ends in there as well oh yeah of course right uh, one last thing I want to uh say before we uh, wrap up fully uh, I want to give a thank you out to Astra Vex uh, who uh, we got the music off the intro for this uh, episode uh, he's got a YouTube channel uh, where he does guitar covers of uh, uh, video game songs and that's where we got this one it's also where uh, Timothy Thatcher got his theme music from interestingly enough uh, so go check him out if you, you're interested in uh, guitar covers for that sort of thing. Other than that, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this. It's our first first uh, go at a podcast for all three of us, um, to my knowledge, anyway. Uh, yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. First wrestling podcast for me. So um, give, maybe give us a few pointers uh, over on the Voices of Wrestling <laughs> forums. Talk less, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Uh, let us know if you're interested in uh, more of these, because uh, if no one's listening to these, uh, we won't carry on. But if, if uh, people are enjoying uh, them, shut we'll, up, Rob. Uh, we're going to do them anyway. We'll try and make a <laughs> make it a monthly thing. Yeah. Uh, so thanks again for listening, and uh, see you next month. Good evening. Bye. <laughs>
here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.